Hello and welcome back to The Fall of the Roman Empire. My name is Nick Holmes and this is episode 45 called The Road to Disaster. At the end of the last episode, we left Stilicho, the commander-in-chief of the Western Empire, stunned by the news of the Germanic invasion of Gaul in December 406, and the almost simultaneous rebellion in Britain and Gaul led by the usurper Constantine III. These hit Stilicho like a bolt from the blue. He was at the peak of his power, having defeated two Gothic invasions of Italy, and was mustering his army to cross the Adriatic and join forces with the Goth Alaric to assert his dominance over the Eastern Empire. But Stilicho had taken his eye off the ball. In the last episode, we talked about the reasons for both the collapse of the Rhine frontier and also the appearance of the usurper Constantine III. And there was one main reason behind both neglect. For Stilicho had neglected the defence of Gaul, and it seems pretty much forgotten that Britain even existed. Instead, his focus was on defending Italy, which was justifiable. But what was far less justifiable was that he'd let himself become overly obsessed with playing power politics with the Eastern Empire. Well, now he paid the price for his neglect. His fall from power was as spectacular as his rise had been. And to start with, what worried him more than the Germanic onslaught across the Rhine was the appearance of a usurper in the form of Constantine III, because this was a direct challenge to the Emperor Honorius's rule, and thereby also to him as Honorius's chief minister. In fact, it was very similar, if you remember, to what had happened in the 3rd century when the general Posthumus set up the breakaway Gallic Empire in response to the complete lack of interest in Gaul's defence shown by the Emperor Gallienus in Italy. The difference this time was that Constantine III was helped by the fact that in 407, the invading Germans were crossing Gaul rather than occupying it. His British and Gallic legions seemed to have got the better of the Germans in a number of small engagements, helping to speed them on their way. Therefore, by the beginning of 408, he was in a relatively strong position in the north and central parts of Gaul. But similar to some of the other Gallic usurpers in the past, he was cautious about a civil war with the official Roman emperor and seems to have proposed joint rule to the emperor Honorius as evidenced by the fact that the coins he minted depicted both him and Honorius. Nevertheless, Stilicho didn't trust him and wanted to stamp out this rebellion as quickly as possible. So, in early 408, he sent an army from Italy across the Alps against Constantine. He also organised a small force led by Honorius's relatives in Spain to attack across the Pyrenees. The army from Italy was an elite force of cavalry, both Gothic and Roman, under the command of Sarus, the Gothic general who defected from Alaric's army, if you remember, to become one of Stilicho's most trusted lieutenants after the Battle of Palentia in 402. And at first it looked as if this capable general might succeed in crushing Constantine, since in his first engagement near Lyon in Gaul, he defeated and killed one of Constantine's generals, Justinianus. Constantine then took refuge in Valence, close to Lyon, and Cyrus laid siege to the town. However, a relief force led by Constantine's son, Constans, forced Cyrus to flee back to Italy. 
This was bad news for Stilicho, but it was followed by far worse. For by the spring of 408, Alaric the Goth was getting impatient. It was over a year since he dutifully followed Stilicho's orders to march to Epirus and await the arrival of the Western Roman army for their intended march on Constantinople. During that time, his followers had received no pay or provisions from Stilicho and were almost certainly complaining that Alaric was not doing enough for them. Accordingly, he now demanded fourth thousand pounds of gold as compensation and threatened war if this was not forthcoming. Yet again, Stilicho was caught by surprise. Alaric marched north from Epirus to the Roman province of Noricum, which is modern Austria, ready to invade Italy. With Gaul split between Constantine III and the German invaders in the west and the Goths in the east, Italy was now surrounded by enemies on all sides. Stilicho appealed to the Senate in Rome to pay the Goths. Initially, they resisted. Resentment was growing against Stilicho. Rumours circulated that he was actually friends with Alaric. There was dissatisfaction with the growing use of German mercenaries in the army instead of Roman legionaries, despite the fact that many of the wealthy senators were the ones who would not allow able-bodied young men working on their estates to be recruited for the army. One senator criticised Stilicho by declaring in the Senate that paying the Goths, quote, did not bring peace, but a pact of servitude, end quote. Stilicho's growing unpopularity offered an opportunity to his rivals at court, in particular a man called Olympius, who was Magister Scrinii, or Master of the Imperial Secretaries, and ironically Stilicho's own appointee realised that he could use this to his advantage. His job meant that he was almost always at the Emperor Honorius's side, and he used this privileged position as an opportunity to ferment ideas in the weak-willed young Emperor's mind that Stilicho was plotting against him. An unexpected event also helped him enormously in this respect when the news reached Ravenna of the death of Honorius's brother, the Eastern Emperor Arcadius, in May 408, leaving his seven-year-old son Theodosius II as his heir. Honorius showed a rare moment of self-possession when he suddenly declared that he wanted to go to Constantinople to arrange the governorship of the Eastern Empire. Stilicho objected, saying that it was best for him to go. He no doubt quite rightly feared that should Honorius be allowed to go alone, he would fall under the influence of the ministers in the East, not least the highly capable Anthemius, who had been the Eastern Praetorian prefect since 405, and who had already proved his abilities by negotiating a favourable peace treaty with the Sasanian Persians. Stilicho got his way, persuading Honorius that it was too dangerous for him to leave the West when the pretender Constantine III was at the gates of Italy. Interestingly, he also employed the argument that it would be too expensive for Honorius to go. It seems that the travel arrangements for an emperor at this time were so extravagant, involving a retinue of servants as well as a large number of troops, that the effect would have crippled the Western finances. This provides an insight into how financially weak the Western emperor empire was at this time, which is not too surprising when you consider that the tax revenues from Britain, Gaul and Spain had all been lost and that the wealthy senatorial class in Rome were famous as tax dodgers. 
It also shows just how desperate the Western Empire was that it had agreed to pay Alaric £4,000 of gold just to behave himself. Stilicho's fall from power then unfolded as rapidly and absolutely as that in any Shakespearean tragedy. He seems to have been genuinely mesmerised by the prospect of going to Constantinople to supervise the child emperor Theodosius II, but he also knew he couldn't leave Italy, just as Honorius couldn't either. Consequently, he did nothing but propose the idea that Alaric should be ordered to advance to Gaul to confront Constantine III. This might have seemed sensible in view of the huge amount of money that the Romans were paying Alaric, but it didn't go down well with either the Senate or the Italian legions. Both remembered the fear in Italy when Alaric had invaded in 401-2, and neither wanted him back on Italian soil. In particular, the legionaries and their officers had long disliked the use of Gothic and other German mercenaries in the army, and must have particularly resented the payment of a large sum of gold to Alaric's men. And now Stilicho's intention that Alaric's army should be transferred to the Gallic front to fight Constantine with the possibility that they, the Italian legions, would be told to report to Alaric was simply too much. Rumours started to spread that Stilicho was actually in league with Alaric against Rome. And to make matters worse, it was a scheming Olympius who now played his trump card, according to the Roman chronicler Zosimus, by saying that Stilicho, quote, was planning the journey to the east in order to plot the overthrow of the young Theodosius and the transfer of the east to his own son Eucarius, end quote. This view spread faster than a video going viral on TikTok. Not only did it shock Honorius, but it was also the last straw for the Roman army in Italy, which was headquartered at Ticinum, which is modern Pavia, where it was preparing to march over the Alps against Constantine III. A mutiny erupted there in August 408. Officers who supported Stilicho were rounded up in a military coup d'etat and executed. The Emperor Honorius happened to be there at the time and was shocked at this insurrection. Indeed, one story said that when a pro-Stilicho officer, the quaestor Salvinus, fell at the Emperor's feet, begging for his life. The soldiers simply dragged him away from the speechless Honorius and butchered him. Honorius, who enjoyed a quiet life tending to his chickens, and some historians think was possibly mentally retarded, ran away scared for his own safety. When Stilicho heard the news, he was in the town of Bononia, midway between Pavia and Ravenna. At first, he didn't know what to do. While he was told that many of his supporters had been killed, he wasn't sure where Honorius stood in relation to this mutiny. Did the emperor want to punish the soldiers or to forgive them? If the latter, it meant that Stilicho was out of favour. The reality was that Honorius, as usual, was just a frightened imbecile, unsure what to do. The real architect of the revolt was Olympius. He now told the emperor that the soldiers would only obey him and not Stilicho. Honorius accepted this. Stilicho's death sentence had just been signed. 
However, despite Olympias's betrayal, Stilicho was still in a reasonably strong position since he had most of the barbarian mercenaries with him in Bononia. Their leaders, including his trusted Gothic general Sarus, wanted to advance on Ticinum and confront the mutinous Roman regiments. But Stilicho refused to do this, knowing that it would mean civil war with Honorius. Instead, he decided to flee to Ravenna without a fight. This infuriated the German troops. Indeed, Cyrus was so angered by Stilicho's behaviour that he turned against him, attacked and slaughtered Stilicho's personal Hunnic bodyguard before abandoning the camp and leaving to Rome, Italy. Shortly after Stilicho arrived in Ravenna, messengers from Honorius reached the city with orders to arrest him. Stilicho sought sanctuary in a nearby church. At daybreak on the 22nd of August, 408, soldiers led by an officer called Heraclianus entered the church and persuaded the bishop, who was protecting Stilicho, that they had orders just to arrest him, not to execute him. Stilicho agreed to leave the church, whereupon Heraclianus produced a second letter condemning him to death for crimes against the state. Stilicho still had some servants and bodyguards with him who wanted to put up a fight, but in an act universally admired by contemporaries and historians, Stilicho told them to put away their weapons and submitted his neck to the sword. Historians have long been perplexed by Stilicho's willingness to concede victory to Olympias without a fight. The answer is probably that he knew he was in a hopeless position and that resistance would endanger his family. His son Eucarius was with him in Ravenna and fled to Rome unharmed, although he would later be executed. His loyal wife Serena was also in Rome, where she was safe for the moment, although, as we will shortly discover, not for long. Whatever Stilicho's true motivation, government was now in the hands of Olympias, who proved to be as incompetent as he was treacherous. The next event sealed the fate of the Western Empire when the Roman army based in Ticinum decided to turn against the German mercenaries that were now so prominent in the Western army. This had, of course, already happened in the East, with the effect that the Eastern army was no longer so dependent on German mercenaries nor commanded so conspicuously by German generals. But whereas the Eastern army had achieved this relatively efficiently, the Western army now botched its attempt to emulate its eastern cousin. For the objects of the Romans' anger were the Gothic families that had been part of Radagaisus's invasion back in 404 and who had been quartered in various Italian cities while their menfolk served in the Roman army. These were rounded up and massacred. This horrific act backfired on the Romans spectacularly for it achieved nothing from a military standpoint other than to send the husbands of the slaughtered families, some 12,000 Gothic soldiers who'd been recruited from Radagaisus's defeated army, rushing to join Alaric, who had, in the meantime, advanced into northern Italy. The fact that these Goths were not integrated into the Roman regiments, but existed as a separate group, meant that they could easily move en masse. The Romans had now succeeded in creating exactly what Stilicho had spent his career trying to prevent, 
the formation of a Gothic supergroup in Italy, far more powerful than any of the Roman forces. For Alaric now commanded the largest Gothic army Rome had ever faced, probably with over 30,000 warriors, if we add together his own army of some 20,000 and the 12,000 Goths who'd been serving in the Roman army. In contrast, the Roman army, which was still headquartered at Ticinum in northern Italy, awaiting an attack over the Alps by Constantine III, probably numbered no more than some ten to 15,000 men. Italy was now effectively in the hands of Alaric and his Goths. Rome's fate had been sealed. However, Alaric took his time. Over the next two years, he conducted three sieges of the city of Rome. Unlike Hannibal, who never felt he had the resources to take Rome, Alaric knew that he had the city at his mercy. Nevertheless, unlike the Germanic hordes in the 3rd century that had tried to advance on Rome to sack it, only to be thwarted by the emperors Gallienus and Aurelian, he wasn't looking for the destruction of the city as much as using the threat of its destruction as a bargaining tool to hold the Western Empire to ransom. Indeed, his first request to the Emperor Honorius was for another payment of gold, similar to the one Stilicho had persuaded the Senate to agree to earlier that year. Olympius, the power behind the throne, refused. It's very doubtful whether Ravenna even had the money to pay Alaric. So Alaric led his troops south, taking Ariminum, which today is modern Rimini, on the way. When they reached Rome, Alaric took Ostia, Rome's port, and its supply base for the North African grain that was so vital to feed its population. There was panic in the city. Serena, Stilicho's unfortunate widow, was arrested and strangled to death for fear that her remorse for her husband might induce her to betray the city to the Goths. Honorius's sister Galla Placidia, also resident in the city, raised no objection, although in her youth she'd been brought up by Serena and Stilicho. Placidia's hard-heartedness was the first sign of the ruthless determination that would help her survive and prosper over the next few decades. Alaric held the city in a tight grip. Aqueducts were cut and the river Tiber was blockaded. No supplies could reach it. Food quickly ran out. The population, which is estimated at around 800,000, began to starve. Unburied bodies began to fill the streets. Famine led to plague. Quote, the stench arising from the putrid corpses was sufficient to infect them with disease, end quote, according to Zosimus, our best source on the sack of Rome. The Romans were holding out in the hope that a relief force would arrive from Ravenna or the army based at Ticinum would move south. But no help came. Honorius and Olympius were too worried about their own precarious position to try to save Rome. In desperation, a group of senators sought an audience with Alaric when they said the people of Rome were willing to fight just like their ancestors. Alaric laughed. When they asked him what he wanted, he said all their gold and possessions, as well as the freedom of the slaves. When asked what he would give the Romans in return, he said, your lives. In desperation, the Senate resorted to invoking help from the ancient Roman gods. Even Pope Innocent I agreed to this. But when there was no divine intervention, and when there was no food left, the Senate 
had to return to Alaric to beg for terms. He demanded £5,000 of gold, 30000 of silver, 4,000 silk robes, 3,000 scarlet fleeces and £3,000 of pepper. The terms were accepted and the Senate started to levy the ransom from the city's inhabitants, according to a means test. Zosimus recounts that the miserly senators, although many possessed enormous wealth, did their best to avoid contributing. All the gold and silver in the churches and what remained in the pagan temples was stripped to pay the Goths. Zosimus says that ancient statues made of gold and silver were melted down, including one of Virtus, the Roman god of valour, with this being destroyed, he said, all that remained of Roman valour was totally extinguished. In addition, Alaric's army was also joined by the less fortunate members of Radagaisus's Gothic followers who'd been sold into slavery rather than coerced into joining the Roman army. The exact numbers and locations of these slaves has always been a mystery, but our sources record that a huge force of slaves joined Alaric when he was encamped outside Rome, and these were almost certainly the rest of Radagaisus's followers. This must have added at least another 10,000 soldiers to his army, taking it to 40 to 50,000 and further strengthening his dominant military position. But Alaric was as good as his word and withdrew north to Tuscany. Food supplies flooded into the city to the relief of its starving inhabitants. Rome had been saved, but for how long? The Senate sent an embassy to Honorius in Ravenna, begging for a peace treaty with Alaric to prevent him from attacking Rome again. However, Honorius, under Olympius's thumb, refused. Olympius wanted to restore Roman authority in Italy, but he lacked the military strength to do this. In a desperate attempt, a force of 6,000 Roman troops taken from Illyria and supposedly of high quality advanced towards Rome to provide it with a stronger garrison. But Alaric intercepted them and defeated them so comprehensively that only 100 survivors reached the city. Next, Olympius called the Western Army in northern Italy to confront Alaric's brother, Atterulf, close to Pisa. Although it remains unclear exactly what happened, some sort of minor battle was fought, which seems to have been inconclusive, although Olympius claimed 1,100 Goths were killed for the loss of only 17 Romans. Nevertheless, this failure to turn the table on the Goths in battle resulted in a palace coup in Ravenna, in which Olympius was ousted by the Praetorian prefect for Italy, Jovius. Both Honorius and his new minister, Jovius, knew they were in a desperate situation and tried to secure an alliance with Constantine III, who'd been sitting on the sidelines in Gaul waiting for events to unfold by sending him a purple cloak to recognise his imperial aspirations. At the same time, they offered a peace settlement to Alaric, involving paying him an annual tribute of gold and corn and allowing the Goths to settle in northeastern Italy and Illyria. To everyone's surprise, Alaric accepted these terms, but provided he was also given a senior military position within the empire. The Roman historian Olympiodorus thought this was an excellent opportunity to make peace, and most modern historians agree with this. But it was Honorius himself who blew it. 
he refused to recognise Alaric as a senior general. The reasons for this remain a mystery. Perhaps recognising both the usurper Constantine III and Alaric at the same time was just too much for his ego. Perhaps his feeble mind just couldn't understand what was going on. Alaric was furious and returned to Rome for a second time and put it under siege in the autumn of 409. But this time, the Senate had no faith in being rescued by Honorius, nor did Alaric have any hope that he could extract his coveted senior appointment. So they joined forces. They both decided to circumvent Honorius and a senator, Priscus Attalus, was declared emperor. Honorius realised his mistake in alienating both the Senate and Alaric. He panicked and decided the best course of action was to run away. But there was yet another twist as he was waiting to board a ship bound for Constantinople to join his young nephew Theodosius II. A fleet from Constantinople itself appeared, containing 4,000 elite troops from the Eastern Empire. The Eastern Empire had come to his rescue in the nick of time. He immediately rethought his plans and decided to stay in Ravenna. He also dispatched a delegation to North Africa laden with gold to secure its support against Rome, which was of course critical since it provided the grain supply to the city. In response, the newly declared Emperor Talus sent a force from the city of Rome to take North Africa, but this failed and the city was exposed to the prospect of another famine. Alaric was by now getting frustrated. Honorius would not recognise him. His puppet emperor, Priscus Attalus, was in fact no more than just that, a puppet. And his vast army had not received any Roman gold or gifts since the Senate had paid them off in late 408. Therefore, in July 410, he deposed Attalus and reopened negotiations with Honorius to agree the sort of peace settlement that had so nearly been signed the previous year. A meeting was arranged and Alaric moved to within 60 Roman stadia, which is about 12 kilometres, from Ravenna. However, Honorius couldn't control his own Gothic mercenaries, the Gothic general Sarus, who you will remember had been one of Stilicho's trusted men and who had fled to Rome, Italy during Olympias's tenure of office, had a vendetta against Alaric, which stretched back to the 390s when the two of them had been rivals for leadership of the Goths in Illyria. Now he wanted his revenge. He prepared an ambush and attacked Alaric as he was coming to negotiate with Honorius. Alaric's men beat their fellow Goths off and the attack was a failure. But it was enough to enrage Alaric. Exasperated with both Honorius in Ravenna and the Senate in Rome, he'd had enough of the Romans. He turned around from Ravenna and headed straight back to Rome for his third siege of the city. But this time, he didn't want to negotiate for gold or to promote another pretender like Priscus Attalus. This time, he was going to sack the Eternal City. And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, of course, I'd be delighted for any ratings or reviews in whichever podcast app you use. 
And in the next episode next week, we'll cover the sack of Rome in AD 410. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Music